Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In this episode, I chat to Adam Dennison. Recently, CIO Magazine published their COVID-19 impact study. So Adam and I dive into the IT leader perspectives during this current time, the impact current disruptions are having on budgets and business priorities, and where companies are planning to accelerate digital transformation investments in the near and far future. Adam, thank you so much for joining us on Connected and Ready. Um, I wonder if you could start by giving us a little introduction to who you are and what you do. Thank you, Gemma. So my name's Adam Dennison. I'm the former publisher for CIO, which is a media brand with IDG Global Communications. We have several high-tech media brands that are enterprise-focused, computer world, info world, CSO, and then obviously CIO, as I mentioned as well. My primary role there for the last 10 years was to oversee the brand positioning of CIO, oversee our research, which uh, the research we're going to talk about today, uh, basically everything that had to do with the business of the CIO brand, as well as was the general manager for our face-to-face events uh, operations. Yeah, so you mentioned um, research that we're going to talk about today. Primarily, we're going to talk about the, the CIO magazine COVID-19 impact study. And I wonder if you could start by maybe telling us what prompted the desire to explore the IT leader perspective um, at the moment. You know, what was the purpose of this study? We do an awful lot of research at CIO throughout the year. And, you know, a few of the things that we're seeing right now, one is obviously technology has gone from supporting the business to really driving the business over the last 10 years. So we really look at CIOs as being business leaders, not just technology leaders. And clearly this pandemic has affected every single business that's out there, uh, every vertical across the entire globe. Uh, And then when we had that massive push to working from home, that really became either a technology problem or an area where technology could shine. But we wanted to get an understanding of, okay, let's look at, you know, the past six months to a year and what they were focused on and how's that changed really within this compacted, you know, three week timeframe. Cause this, this was fielded in the April of 2020, uh, work from home for most people in the U S started right around the second or third week of March. So it was very early on in the pandemic and we wanted to get a really good snapshot at that point. You know, what do budgets look like? Where's your time spent right now? What's your priorities and things of that nature? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting what you said about it kind of could have gone one or two ways in some respects, technology being possibly a huge opportunity, but at the same time, considering all the all the changes could have been, you know, something quite problematic for these IT leaders. I wonder if we could maybe start with what were your expectations when you put out these questions? What did you think would come back? And, you know, in terms of what came back, did it really surprise you or was it kind of in line? It was a little bit of both, Gemma. Our flagship study is called State of the CIO, and that is a global study of over 800 CIOs, and we also have some business management in there as well. We field that in the September timeframe every year, and there's a lot of really rich, deep information. That's a very large, large base study. Um, in September of 2019, it feels like 10 years ago now. So what we did was we've got to get some comparisons here. So we used the State of the CIO as the benchmark. And then about half of these questions that we asked were lifted straight out of the state of the CIO to get an understanding of where we're seeing some differences. 
Um, when we ask about top business priorities that lead to a tech purchase or top uh, tech priorities that lead to a tech purchase, they're very well aligned on both the CIO uh, respondents as well as the business respondents. And we want to get kind of a sense if that's moving at all. A lot of times when you talk to CIOs and they talk about their customers, it was their internal customers that they would support their employee base, right? So that's really started to shift um, over the last uh, seven years and then really uh, heightened in the last three to five years, again, when, when technology is really coming to the center of business and driving business. So this extreme focus on the end customer driving revenue, you know, helping in product development is something CIOs have been ultra involved with. And it's been really exciting to see. And we wanted to get a sense of, okay, now with this major pandemic, is that going to change? That was really a few of the things that we thought we might see change. And then again, obviously, from a budgetary standpoint, I'll just go right into it in terms of where we saw some, you know, major swings and shifts, Gemma. So one of the things is we ask a simple question a few times a year, is your IT budget going to increase decrease or remain the same over the next 12 months. You know, we can show trending all the way back to 2008, 2009, the Great Recession. And there's a lot of ups and downs that will occur in there, right? And so we were on a roll, uh, really on a, on a really strong roll heading into the uh, December was the last time we fielded that question. And we had, you know, 59% of the respondents said that their budgets are going to increase in the next 12 months just in December alone. Uh, and as far as budgets declining, that was 7%. That's the smallest number that we'd seen since the Great Recession in 2008. So really good times were poised for 2020. You know, you fast forward just a couple of quick months, the pandemic hits. We feel this in April and two thirds of the respondents, uh, a little more than that, actually, more than two thirds of the respondents said that their budget will continue to increase or remain the same. Most saying remain the same, which was the good news. But the bad news is on the budgets declining, that went from 7%, Gemma, and skyrocketed all the way up to 35%. We haven't seen a jump like that that steep since the Great Recession. So it just gives you a reference point. Um, this was fielded in April. We're now in mid-June. And so this was very early on. My gut tells me if we were to field this again right now, that number would be pushing up more toward about 50% because there's just an awful lot of folks that are still a little bit nervous. They didn't understand the full magnitude of the pandemic. They thought we might get out of it quicker than we have. And there's, you know, everything's just changed right now. So there's a lot of folks that are on either maintenance mode or trying to pull back things that aren't particularly necessary. Um, and then I'll just get into another area that I thought was really interesting. At the core of our state of the CIO research, we ask a very simple question of, of the CIOs, and it's how do you spend most of your time, okay? And we give them 15 choices, and I certainly won't go through all of those right now. And in the September timeframe, the top three responses that we got back were security management, aligning IT initiatives with business goals, and improving IT operations and systems performance. Fast forward six months or so to April, the number one response that we got back by far and away was cost control and expense management. The only one that stayed up there, even in the top four, was improving IT operations and systems performance, which certainly makes sense. And then the other two that came in almost dead even at, uh, at three and four were redesigning business processes and developing and refining business strategy. And I think that's really important to, to, to note there because everyone's business processes have now been flipped upside down. But as people move to the work from home, the work still needs to get done. It's just getting done differently. And so that's where I think the redesigning business process comes in. And then CIOs 
are right there with the other business leaders of their organizations. And so they're all together. You know, we got to now redevelop and refine our overall business strategy. What are we going to do? Are we staying in certain markets? Are we maybe going to look to do M&A like we were, you know, just six weeks ago? Are we going to pull back on that? So a lot of that was going on. Those are the real kind of big areas that I saw shifts in. And then the other one, uh, again, I mentioned it's been a laser focus on the external customer uh, for the last five or seven years. Doesn't mean that the internal customer is not important. You know, your employee base is not important. But when you go through something like this and move everybody to work from home within days or even weeks on some of the ones that were a little slower, what we also saw really jump up big time was make sure that they're set up properly. The digital workplace for my employees is there and it's ready. They have the tools they want, they have the devices they need, uh, and they're properly set up to get the job done. So we saw that come up, you know, neck and neck with still having an eye on that external customer. So when we talk about IT budgets, we've got some people staying the same, some people saying it's growing, um, but now obviously a lot more people saying that IT budgets have decreased. And I'm curious, what did the CIOs tell you or talk to you about um, around sort of reprioritization, particularly for those that have decreased? Is it that, you know, money that was being spent on some things has moved to other things or you know, completely disappeared in one bit and up to another? Can you tell me a little bit about that prioritization piece? Yeah, Gemma, I think uh, you know, when we look at the folks in the study that, that were going to either you know, increase their spend or remain the same, um, and that was at um, you know, combined 60, 65%, I believe, um, it, you know, we really need to focus is on, on the folks that are, that are declining their spend, right? Because that's where the reality is. The CIOs that I speak with, it's various, um, it, it's different for each organization, but if it's not something that is going to help take cost out of the business, uh, help make us more efficient, help automate our processes, um, or help our customer experience, uh, you know, and help drive top line revenue. Those are the areas that they're going to look at it and say, if it's anything else outside of this, that's just noise right now. And that's going to get cut or get put on the back burner. If it's any type of uh, pilot project that doesn't directly correlate to the company's core values and what overall what they're trying to do in this new time, they're going to put that all to the side. So anything that can help increase customer satisfaction, customer experience. So those are things that they'll lean into also on being able to make their employees more productive. And then hopefully that will help in turn have a better customer experience and continue to drive revenue during this time. Um, anything that falls outside of that, though, are areas that they're going to simply say, we've got to back burner this or cut this and move that revenue over to spend elsewhere. That's a brilliant summary. And I think if I was to summarize it to one sort of key idea myself, and you can disagree with me, but this is what it sounds like uh, from my perspective. It sounds like what the study is showing is that businesses are kind of going, okay, we've been on this uh, sort of period of looking out, innovating, you know, pushing our businesses as far as possibly can. But at the moment, we kind of just need to get back to basics and focus on making sure that everything we do is watertight, our employees are supported, and that our systems are seamless and that they work. And after that, we can then start building again. Would that be a fair sort of um, summary? Yeah, it certainly is. And, and I've had the pleasure over the last six weeks now or so, and I've been talking to a lot of CIOs, a lot of really forward-thinking ones, um, the state of Illinois, uh, Travelers Insurance, uh, Kimball Electronics, um, Ocean Spray. So I had the pleasure of talking to good CIOs that had good systems in place, right? And so when I mentioned the aligning IT initiatives with business goals and the security management as being focuses back in September, 
that stuff worked. So a lot of CIOs talk to me and I say, how did you do it? Did your systems go haywire? Are you seeing security breaches that are coming at warp speed here? What they're telling me is we had a lot of this stuff in place already and the technology is doing what it's supposed to do. This has really become a people thing here. And so a lot of this is people training. So a lot of these phishing attacks that are going on and trying to hit folks from home is a lot of it basically making sure that they're up to speed on their own internal communication and their own systems and things of that nature and the training and the education and make sure they can still get that to them while they're in a work from home scenario. I think it's the CIOs, it's the companies that hadn't gotten started yet. They didn't have that roadmap in place. They haven't put the building blocks in. They're the ones that were really caught back on their heels and had no idea really how to how to handle this work from home push. If, if a company was, you know, all desktop oriented, now I got to buy hundreds, if not thousands of laptops. Well, so do a lot of other folks. So that might now get all tied up. And now I can't work for a while because I don't have the systems in place. And then just helping their employees with their own Wi-Fi at home. I mean, I know, you know, I don't have the greatest setup in my own house. I've got, you know, three young children. They're all doing e-learning. I got two daughters doing gymnastics classes. Meanwhile, I'm trying to get work done. Um, so I was getting tied up a lot. You know, what we did was um, we went out and, and just bought an off-the-shelf mesh network and set it up. And it's, it's, you know, knock on wood, it's been working really well for us. But those are some of the things that they're trying to help their employees deal with while trying to get business done. I love that. Gymnastics. Uh, I pray for all of your nice ornaments in your house. <laughs> um, so I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned a few of the kind of technology changes here, but also um, the fact that there's a huge impetus on sort of people behavior, particularly when it comes to security. But let's talk a little bit about the tech and about this sort of digital transformation that both has already been happening but is now really accelerating or at least has the focus of which has changed as a result of the last couple of months. What are you seeing in terms of whether it's software or systems that companies are now massively prioritizing that they perhaps didn't really have at the top of the list when you talked to them in September? Yeah, there's a few things here. Our sister organization, which is called IDC, that's an analyst firm, they did a similar COVID study, and there's some really interesting things that, that they got back in terms of um, forward thinking. So whenever you're going to have a return to work, where might we need to have some specific technologies in place? And I'll, I'll share that with you in a second. Um, I think first and foremost, though, um, you know, w- one of the things in, in, in Teams is one of the ones that got brought up a ton of, of these CIOs I, I, I speak with. Like, like, look, we had already gotten started on Teams, and that's helped us tremendously get a leg up on being able to have a work from home scenario and stay connected and be collaborative. Um, a push to the cloud was something that they all talk about as well. Look, we were already pushing cloud first. This is now just made us double down. And when I go in and talk to the other executives and the board, they understand now why cloud is so important and why we have to continue our push into the cloud. Automation is another one that just kept coming up time and time again. And, and in various places, Gemma, like I, I hear a lot about it from procurement. So. How can we take these antiquated paper-based processes that we can't do anymore because we can't go in and see each other, but how can we still get the bills paid? How can we still get invoicing out? And so they're putting in different systems and putting in different technologies in order to do that. And they're saying, you know, I'm not turning back now. This, this is going to be our new way of, of working. We're removing steps from the process. We're making things less manual. We're making things more efficient. So let's lean on the technology as opposed to what we were doing in the past that was taking up time and we can you know, shift and spend that time on something else. Another CIO I spoke with said, 
he's basically saying that, you know, talking with his vendors, right? So a lot of CIOs had to go talk to their vendors and maybe renegotiate some terms and agreements, the one, you know, the ones that were hit really hard. And he said, look, we're moving now. We need things that can be done cost effectively and get some quick wins. The days of a million dollar project that's going to take a year, I can't do that now. So I, I got to have a hundred thousand dollar project that's going to take three months. So they want to get these things done quickly. Again, cloud automation are areas they're pointing to there. Low code development is another area that they're pointing to. How can I enable and empower, you know, my workforce to spin up their own software and documents that they need to in their own coding um, to get them out the door faster and have my team there to help support them and have the guide rails. But we don't have to go through this long, arduous process. Um, companies that were set up already in an agile uh, either an IT agile shop or an agile environment overall with the organization, they're performing much better right now as well. So it's all about quick hits and speed and things of that nature. What's really interesting when you start to talk about the technology aspect of it, um, you know, what technologies would you look to put in place when you do have a return to the office? Um, and it was really interesting The tied for number one uh, at 49 percent. Uh, temperature sensing and or health monitoring technologies. And so, and I spoke with the CIO of Lazy Boy. They've got that. They're investing right now in facial recognition that will come in before you go into the workplace. It'll take your temperature and you move on. There's apps out there that'll help do this as well. Some of them are very low cost and light apps. They even have a quick app. When you're at home, you take a seven question. It take, he did it in front of me on, 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 a, on a digital call. Um, it, it takes less than two minutes if you answer yes to any one of the questions they tell you to stay home if not you can come into the office and then you're still going to get your temperature checked um touchless fixtures is another one right soap dispensers and things like that sinks if that hasn't been put in place they're going to go ahead and do a lot of that um voice activated elevator banks so people don't have to touch as many buttons and things of that nature and then the other one i thought was really interesting and this kind of gets you know i'm not a technologist this kind of gets way out there is uh sensors for proximity monitoring and wearables for proximity monitoring. Now, I don't know what it'll do, right? If Jim, if I get within eight feet of you, if it stops me or <laughs> I'm not sure, but those were up in the top five of a list of, you know, anywhere from 12 to 15 technologies. Another one that was further down the list that I thought was interesting was robotics for cleansing. Uh, you know, so overnight have, have robots go around and clean the offices fully. So there's some smart people right now in Silicon Valley or that are going to come up with some really cool stuff, I think. Uh, and even some of the bigger folks might um, come up with some really cool things that come out of what we're dealing with right now. But, you know, I, it's a balance right now between the tried and true technologies and what we think we might need, you know, moving forward to, to lean on, I think. Microsoft Power Automate is helping organizations digitize paper processes and automate time-consuming manual tasks. By bringing together robotic process automation, digital process automation, and AI together on a single platform, Power Automate serves the entire spectrum of an organization's automation needs. Watch a demo by following the link in the episode description. Speaking a little bit more about automation, which we've touched on a few times, um, what is this being used for? You know, is this about driving shifts in, in digital transformation more broadly? Is it efficiency of process? Like what kind of, um, I guess, use cases for automation are you hearing about? I think one of the ones I heard come across several CIOs around automation in this time frame was around procurement. We were behind the times in terms of how we did things from a financial standpoint. There was a lot of paper-based processes that were involved. We can't do that now. 
we still have to keep the business moving. So they stood up specific softwares and tools and devices and technologies that were able to allow them to get that to happen. It might not be where their final end game is going to be, but they can at least say, hey, look, we now know we don't need to rely on these manual processes. We can be more efficient here. We can be more green. We can be quicker. We can be more nimble with this and get the job done. The next iteration of that might be something that's more sophisticated than we're doing right now because we had to quickly you know, put this together. Again, another thing I heard an awful lot of is the work needs to get done. It's just how it's getting done is completely changing. And so they're looking at this as opportunities that we've been wanting to automate our backend systems, our processes. Now's the time to do that. And they know now that if they can go to the CEO and go to the board and say, during this pandemic, we were able to continue our operations and automation is what helped us do it. We want to continue that now throughout the organization. And we think it'll help us set us up for the next issue that might come down the road. And so they're using that as an opportunity right now. A couple of CIOs I've talked to said, now's the time for IT to lead. Everyone's leaning on technology to help continue to be productive and keep manufacturing plants running, continue again to have revenue coming in and keep your customers happy. Now's the time. If you were set up properly and you're getting these quick wins, Lean into that and see if you can get more of that. But again, it's not going to be a huge windfall of money that's coming your way. You got to be smart about it because we're still in a very unknown situation. So you talked a little bit about accelerated timelines. Um, what's making that move forward? You know, is it this kind of shift of perspective of, you know, instead of working on a tech project for years, it's now, okay, you know, done is better than perfect. Just got to get out the door. Um, so tell us a little bit about what is driving that acceleration. And also what are some of the hurdles that are popping up as a result of this increased speed to deploy? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there. One is you can look at it as overall initiatives and projects and things of that nature. And two, you can look at it in terms of a specific project or initiative that I've, that I've got. But if you take a step back, a couple of CIOs told me, looking at their overall plans, you know, we had planned to get to, you know, X stage of our digital transformation by Y. And then the global pandemic hit. Several of them said, it's amazing that it took a pandemic to get us moving along faster now. So they knew they needed to get there. This is all happening. And they're saying they're going into the boardrooms and the executive roundtables and saying, look, we're not where we need to be yet. Now we need to step on it here. And these are the areas that we need to lean into and accelerate. And again, cloud was one of the biggest responses that they gave me, as well as automation in that regard. So that is that is on an Uber initiative plan. So shock to the system. We were planning to get here. Now we really got to make this happen. On the other piece of it, I think there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. Look, I can't get tied up in a, in a year-long project that has this enormous price tag. I've got to be able to show quick wins back to the business so that I can continue to move forward. I can say to them, you gave me the approval for this budget. Again, let's call it an automation of X process. I was able to get this put into place. We were able to get the process more efficient, reduce time to market, reduce cost here. And this is the result it has been able to show us. Those types of scenarios are where CIOs can find those quick wins. And that's what they're going to be leaning on their vendor partners to help them drive those and help them get those deployed much quicker than these grandiose plans out there that, that are going to take a year or 15 months and you're not going to see a return for quite a while. Just you, you mentioned a few technologies there that are really fascinating, really interesting, um, but kind of cross the discussion from, you know, how do we make uh, business safe and efficient to how do we ensure privacy and security of individuals, particularly for talking about sensors and health information and gosh, even things like proximity. How does the conversation evolve from where businesses have been talking so much about ensuring that they're secure, that their employees are not kind 
kind of giving information away and whatnot to coming back to this idea well actually employees are giving quite a lot of information to to companies and, and what that kind of looks like moving forward i don't think they know yet and that's a really good point i would be remiss if i didn't say that data and analytics is still something that's extremely top of mind you know a lot of that has gotten underway it's still in the early stages i think of of data and analytics you know i've got a lot of the data now what do I do with it? And then certainly from the protection acts that are out there and the regulations and things of that nature. So now when you start to talk to them about all the information they're gathering, right? I take that seven question survey on my smartphone and it zips off. Who owns that? Uh, it's got, you got to be HIPAA compliant on this for sure. But who owns that? Who's got access to it? So there's a lot of dialogue and discussion. And it was David at Lazy Boy that said, you know, we really got to take a cautious movements forward here. And so CIOs are going to be working with HR, they're going to be working with legal, they're going to be working with outside counsel to make sure that there's chief compliance officers that are out there. So they're making sure that they're taking the appropriate steps. And then that brings in a whole other slew of technologies that you need to put around it to make sure that it's safe and protected and who has the access rights and, um, you know, how long does the information stay uh, to, to stay valid and, 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 you know, in certain systems. I don't think they know yet on that one. They didn't have a proper roadmap on it. It was these things are coming. These things we know we need to start tackling. But there's that whole other aspect of it that comes in from a privacy standpoint and making it secure and, you know, who owns the data and all that. Absolutely. I want to also touch on something you mentioned earlier around um, low code as well. I think this is really fascinating, this idea of empowering um, employees to kind of whip up things that they need um, from a software perspective and and from a product perspective, particularly considering all the changes that have happened. Um, I wonder if you could maybe give us some examples of this, but also touch a little bit on how do you um, or did the CIOs talk to you about investing not just in the tech, but also in the training and the, you know, how do we get employees? thinking in a, in a, shall we say, tech way if they're not in the tech department? You know, it's funny. The low-code, no-code's been around for a while. I think it really heated up four or five years ago. I've been with many of the vendors in, in the space, and you know, they'll, they'll say that this is the next greatest thing. It's so easy. Any business user that knows anything about working their way through a computer system can spin up their own applications. You don't need to worry about your team's. That's not where CIOs are at. And I've had many roundtables and dinner discussions with them around it. They understand that it's out there. They understand the importance of it, the ease of it. They understand that a lot of the vendor community is going directly into the businesses and trying to get this sold. A lot of what they'll, they're telling me is this is fine, but we've got to do it together. The CIOs have to be right there with them because not all of the providers are created equally. And we've got to make sure we've got the proper guide rails set up so that if they do push out past a certain guide rail, whether it's a security issue or something that doesn't map to our architecture, we can make sure that they're back where they need to be. So I think CIOs fully appreciate and understand that the business community doesn't like these huge waterfall rollouts that take massive amounts of time and massive amount of training. It's a complete change management and disruption. But I think they also understand that it's not quite as as simple and easy as folks might try to make it. So they'll give them their proverbial sandbox to play in around specific apps that they can work with within their team. Maybe it's something within a sales team or maybe it's something within finance that they need and they, they know they can spin it up quickly and they don't have to put a lot of IT resources beside it um, or behind it, I should say. But it's all about having those you know, that those external boundaries to make sure that there's nothing's going to happen that's going to put the greater company in jeopardy because they're experimenting with a low-code development platform and something along those lines. 
And do you have some kind of examples, perhaps, of where um, where there's been this kind of uh, impetus or extra focus on on low code? What kind of um, application or or use case, perhaps, is being thought of as really vital and useful right now? Again, I think that varies by the department, right? So the three that I've heard, um, actually four, I should say, that I've heard an awful lot of around is, is HR, marketing, finance, and then sales. You know, those folks want to get some specific apps that are up that can help them out in a quicker, faster way. Maybe it's something around um, expenses or something like that for sales, right? You know, the old system, the way that we would do it or file-based systems aren't working. I want to get something that's quicker. Maybe there's something that's on my app that I can spin up, work with a specific provider so that I can do these quicker because no one likes doing expenses anyways. And I want to be able to do that in a faster manner. HR is another example when it comes to Everyone loves their annual reviews, right? So no one likes to get an annual review. No one likes to give them. No one likes to do them. Maybe there's ways that they can work with some specific HR type providers out there that they can spin up a, uh, a you know, an application on a low code platform that makes it much better interface. You get a higher uh, usage rates from your employee base and the managers and things of that nature because managers don't like doing um, reviews just as much as the employees that have to receive them don't like doing them. It's just a it's just a long clunky process. So how can we make this a better process, a better user experience. Again, in finance, there's an awful lot of ways that people, when you're you're cutting data and, and cutting numbers and things of that nature, there's folks that are out there that cater to the financial tech services, and they've got applications and, and development processes that are much quicker. And those teams can kind of, you know, as much as you can work on that on your own, albeit knowing that the you know the IT teams there to support you and help you if you need it. But the teams can kind of handle this and, and get what they believe that they need up and running faster quicker and again, a, a much better usage rates. Awesome. One of the statistics from the, the report that you guys um, just released that I, th- I wanted to touch on a little bit because it's such a, a stark change is the shift of focus around cost control and expense management is up 16 points from the last study, more a bigger jump than any anything else that you, you surveyed around. Could you talk a little bit about that shift, why you think that shift has been so stark? And also, what are the specifics around cost control and expense management? Because that can mean so many different things. So again, this was an April timeframe that we that we fielded it. Huge spike in terms of you know I'm going to reduce spend over the next 12 months, and obviously the cost control went huge spike went up in terms of where I'm I'm spending my time. They're going to basically take a look at their projects and what's open, and they're going to say what's mission critical that I have to get done, and what can be backburnered, whether it's six months, eight months. Or I, maybe I completely change it now. Maybe I maybe it was something that doesn't pertain to us anymore. So that project's killed, and let's see if there's something else that we can do, um, either cheaper or something that is more pertinent to today's reality. But I think when you look at the economic impact that this, this has had globally, you look at the amount of jobs that have been lost, there's just no question it's going to go hand in hand. And at some point, the CEO and the CFO are going to say, hey, folks, we need to stop here and we need to really pull back and make sure any expense that we have gets scrutinized and make sure that it fits within these X buckets that are what our company believes in, or we're just simply not going to fund it. I think the big question now is, you know, how long does that last? I'm just looking at the numbers again, back in 08, whenever the reduce in tech spend jumped from 17%, uh, and then just less than six months later, it went up to 53%. It took another six months or so for that to drop just down to a third in terms of reducing the spend. So I think we're in this for a while. The good news is, though, that, I, again, a lot of what's going to get people out of this right now is technology. You know, you talk about resiliency and we talk about, um, you know, CIOs being able to adapt in these times. 
I just jotted down in just the last, um, you know, just over 20 years, they're quite a resilient bunch, right? They went from the dot-com bust, they went through 9-11, they went through the Great Recession, they went through the year of the breach, and now we're in, in COVID-19. And so all of those had different impacts, but they were all major, major things that completely changed the way that we work. Um, then all of those required a dip in investment and spending, but then they were always able to come back out of that. I think the great ones are able to get their organizations set up properly. They've had the correct measures put in place heading into a, a global pandemic like this or a, you know something that's completely changing the landscape. And they're the ones that'll come out of it stronger on the back end. Time will tell in terms of how long it's going to take for this one to calm down because we're still, I think, very much in the early stages here. Beyond this report then, um, Adam, you know, what would you say is the sort of single biggest takeaway or lesson for IT leaders right now? You know, all the CIOs I spoke to have told me, and I, I'm talking about the last three months in, in the massive move to work from home, the massive disruption that has been caused, the unknown, the, the fear, the uncertainty, right? It's not about the technology. And I, I know we've been talking a lot about technology here. And I say that because what they've told me is, again, the technology was put in place. We didn't know this was going to happen. We knew where we needed to get to. We knew we had to have a digital transformation plan in place. We're well along that plan. So the technology is doing what it's supposed to do. By far, what they have told me is that the key right now, it's communication and that's from the top, from the CEO down to his or her direct executive teams and then down into the rank and file. How has that communication been handled? Are you being straightforward with your employee base, letting them know, know what's next? Uh, are you in constant contact with them? And then the other thing is empathy. And they say, look, you got to have some empathy for not just your employees, but your employees' families and for your customers, right? So, you know, we're all going through different things, right? Working from home for one person is not the same as it is for another one. And so one of the CIOs told me is when you ask me into a meeting, you're coming into my home. And so you got to play by my rules, right? So I might not be camera ready right now. I might have a dog barking in the background and that's okay because I can't control that all the time. So it was have that empathy that, you know, your employees are going to have bad days. Matching that with the communication and trying to keep morale there um, is really, that's across the board, Gemma, from 12 or 15 CIOs that I've spoken with, that they've all said that. So I, I think that speaks volumes to the companies that we were able to talk with, the people we were able to talk with, and it speaks volumes about them as an organization and the CIO and their teams, that they were already down that path and that they, they can be resilient. Their business continuities worked. And so I think that's really huge. And I think we're still in that, that communication phase right now. Of course, we're talking about these sort of changes as a result of a, a big event, which has been horrific for so many people. Um, but if I was to try and put my optimist hat on for a second here, this kind of reevaluation of costs, this focus on the employee and making sure the employee is set up properly and well, and this focus on empathy and communication, I mean, gosh, that all should be sort of central of a business anyway. And I suppose as a part of me hoping that that attitude uh, stays with businesses as, as the future comes and we get past this pandemic. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, they all said they couldn't be more proud of the companies they work for, the way that they handled it, the leadership that was shown. Um, you know, I think that's another point here, going back to the research. One of the things that we found, let me just uh, pull it up here, 71% said that the current work from home shift has created a more positive view on working from home. 
right? And so there's a lot of organizations was like, you're coming to the office, you're here nine to five, tough. And I don't care if you have a bad commute. I don't care if your kid's got a ball game or you're, you got to take your cat to the vet. You're in the office and this is where we get work done. And then you know, maybe that changed to one day from home and it's only Fridays or something. This has really changed the way people think. And they said, look, we can do this. We can work from home. Maybe we don't want to always be working from home, but you know, we can have a little bit more relaxed roles around it. And that's going to play into the return from home. I'm hearing shift working, right? So we're removing cubes and you know, you're on team A, you're on team B and the teams will not swap. So we understand one week you're work from home, one week you're in here or however they decide to do that. But that view and that, that hard stance on working from home is not productive and it's bad has really, really changed here. Um, again, I have a lousy commute here in the Boston area. So I don't like working from home three and a half months, but to be able to have more flexibility around that is something that I think employees are going to really appreciate. And I think they're going to give that back to their company tenfold in terms of the work that they're giving to them there. You know, you're sitting in a commute for, you know, 90 minutes a day. That's not all that productive. It's an absolute grind. And so I think these types of things, I think, will, will really change the way that that people think about work and, and people are thinking about different office spaces right now. And, and do we need as much real estate? So there's an awful lot going on there as well. That's really going to, you know, shake out over the next uh, you know few months to, to, to a couple of years, I think. One of the things we've touched on a little bit and focused on in this conversation is around agility and resiliency moving forward. Um, what do you think companies can do to enable this, this idea of agility and resiliency? Um, not just at the moment, but you know, for the next however many years of business to come? Well, I think we've been hearing an awful lot about, and when I say agility, I don't mean it from a, you know, an agile shop. We mean it from a, an organization. How can you react and move quicker than you ever have before? And we have a lot of CIOs that are talking about that. And, you know, we're an agile organization. I think what's really at the key in the heart of that, Gemma, is communication and collaboration across an organization. So, you used to hear an awful lot about IT and the business. You know, IT supporting the business. IT sits over here. The business sits over here. We don't hear that anymore. It's IT. You know, it's not. It's not IT or the business. It's IT and other parts of the business, right? So IT is not separate. They are embedded within everything that the organization is doing. Everybody's on the same page. They're all pulling themselves in the same direction, so they can be more agile and they can shift when certain things are going to happen because there's no, you know, I was working on these projects over here. That's not what, what's going to be set up to support the business or to support your specific unit. It already was in lockstep. And so they can move together as a, as a team and as a unit uh, a lot better than they, they ever have before. Thank you very much, Adam, for, for sharing both your insight, but also some of these, um, these brilliant statistics from these IT leaders all around the US. I think that's going to really help um, give people not just lessons and, and insight, but also solace that everyone's kind of going through the same thing right now. So thank you for, for sharing all of these insights with us. Thank you for having me, Gemma. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Adam's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Learn how Microsoft Power Automate is helping organizations digitize paper processes and automate time-consuming manual tasks without writing a single line of code. Watch a demo by following the link in the episode description.